It's more than a podcast. They're more than best friends. It's more than an hour of laughing and crying and then going back to laughing again. It's more than a podcast. They're more than ex everyone. Welcome to More Than Mormon. My name is Lena, and if you are new here, be sure to hit that subscription button and stay a while. This episode is rather unusual in comparison to what we usually do, but because it's spooky season and Meg is getting everything ready for our live stream on Friday, I thought this would be a fun side little thing to do. Speaking of, we are hoping to continue raising funds for Queer Meals, which if you have not heard, They are a local organization here in Utah who really does go above and beyond to make sure they're taking care of our LGBTQ community. They deliver meals, they offer suicide prevention support, and they truly don't get the recognition we think they deserve. So head on over to QueerMeals.org and check out their website. Um, Anyone who opts to make a donation and sends us a screenshot of their receipt they can be entered to win a More Than Mormon sticker pack. We have three to give away, so we'll be picking those random winners during our live stream on Friday, which is at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on October 8th. It's going to be a freaking blast. So subscribe to our channel, turn on your notifications, and be sure you're following us on Instagram too so you can be aware of all the upcoming More Than Mormon stuff. So Mormons are peculiar people. They're known for their smiling faces, their put-together exterior, and sometimes they become well-known when one of their own decides to commit a heinous crime. Money, sex, and jealousy feel the fire in some of the stories I'm going to share with you, so grab your coffee cup or pour some wine, because it is going to be a really bumpy ride. Nathan, Wayne, and Trekkin. I don't know if I'm saying that right. So it's no secret that Mormons are, for the better part, Republican. And after January 6, 2021, when right-wing extremists stormed the Capitol, we learned just how true that really is. We got a pretty fresh take on how Mormons view Trump and their political opinions. Apparently they take them very seriously. On this morning, a man named Nathan and Trekkin woke up ready to slay as he pulled on the armor of God and headed out the door. Title of liberty in hand, Nathan was ready to protest. He began to film the events of the riot take place as he wandered the grounds of the Capitol building, and before he illegally and violently busted inside, he was found quoting, I am Captain Moroni. I am the William Wallace of the Book of Mormon. You see in the Book of Alma, in the Book of Mormon, a freedom fighter named Captain Moroni fought for his freedom against the king men. He explained this, of course, very exuberantly as he waved his little title of liberty around. A month prior to this event, he opted to post a public Twitter post saying, Hey, Patriots, Captain Moroni is coming to Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Yay! Alma 4612. You see, I just imagine him purchasing parts of his costume late at night in his mom's basement. I imagine him laying on the ground, like on his stomach, tongue out, sharpie in hand, feet kicking in the air as he's like writing his title Liberty out on this flag. 
anyway. Nathan decided to hop in his car, make the cross-country trek to Washington, D.C., and he planned the entire time to attend the riot. Of course, when he was arrested, he claimed he had no intention of hanging around when things got violent, but the footage he filmed showed otherwise. Like I said, he was kind of narrating what was going on to his mom as he recorded, and you see him calmly walking through the Capitol, narrating every event, and of course, looting is taking place while he's doing this. So right away, Nathan, among with a handful of other people, were wanted in participation for the riot. However, Nathan was one of the easiest ones to come across and catch because of his uh, Captain Moroni outfit and, of course, that public Twitter post. He was charged with two misdemeanors, one for knowingly entering and remaining in the restricted building, and another one for violent entry and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. From what I found, it does look like there is a court date scheduled and he could face up to a year in prison. It's pretty unlikely that a full penalty will actually be paid out. So it's interesting to see what will happen with uh, Brother Nathan. Jason Derrick Brown is on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted Fugitives list. And he's been there since December 2007. Considered to be armed and extremely dangerous, he is wanted for first-degree murder, armed robbery, and unlawful flight to avoid prosecution. Mr. Brown was born in Los Angeles in the year 1969 and has blonde hair, blue eyes, and photos of him in his youth show a very surfer boy physique. He was Mormon, of course. He came from a pretty strict Mormon home. He served a mission in Paris, France from the years 1988 to 1990. And a few years later, he decided to move to Utah and begin a couple businesses of his own. He looked like your average Mormon man, just like you would expect him to be. He was attractive, savvy, wealthy. He had motorcycles, boats, nice house, nice cars, and he appeared to live a really lavish lifestyle. Now, I know not all Mormons are rich. I get that. I know not everyone is wealthy, but I've always kind of noticed that the church likes to shed light on really wealthy and successful members of the church and I noticed it a lot as a recent convert all of the people who held you know callings that were held in high regard were doctors lawyers CEOs own their own business so I just naturally began to connect success and wealth with the Mormon church and I don't think that's by accident flashing their coins and playing white savior when they go to third world countries and you know they demand members in poverty to pay them 10%. I digress. So if you couldn't have guessed, uh, Jason really wasn't actually doing that well financially. Surprise, surprise. He was thousands and thousands of dollars in debt and he couldn't really afford the bougie lifestyle he wanted to continue to have. So he began to run a check and bank frauding scheme. And for years, he allegedly walking into car dealerships with falsified information like fake security cards, fake addresses, stuff like that be all handsomed up, clean shaven, you know, put on that cologne that makes all the ladies swoon. And before you know it, he'd walk out keys in hand with a brand new fucking car. Look, I get that debt sucks. I've got quite a bit. Don't judge. College isn't cheap. But like the balls on this dude. Like, yo, get an OnlyFans like everyone else. Anyway, so he was kind of like a frog being dropped in boiling water. He knew he could not keep up with the facade. He knew he didn't have 
a choice. So he came up with the plan. He figured if he could successfully get the money in an armed bank car, he would be free as a bird, flying away. So he passed a background check and legally purchased a gun and described as an obnoxious student and proving he was very inexperienced as a firearms dude. He somehow passed the course. Firearms dude. What the hell am I even saying? He passed the course. And the teacher who taught it said that he was pretty terrible at shooting. If you were curious, um, there were some reports of him accidentally firing a round into someone's truck. Oops. So on November 29th, 2004, Jason Derrick Brown approached a man, you know, driving an armed car. He was sitting outside of an AMC movie theater. This man was 24-year-old Robert Keith Palamores, and he was in charge of the vehicle that day. He was picking up the deposits from the weekend on his route in Phoenix, Arizona. So even though he was armed, he really had no time to defend himself. Um, Robert saw this hooded figure approaching him really quickly, and immediately six shots were fired. Five of them, sadly, went into Robert's head directly. Escaping on a bicycle with $56,000 in hand, Jason fled the scene. When the bike was recovered and they found fingerprints, it was pretty clear who had done the deed. So Jason Derek Brown officially became a suspect in the murder of Robert Keith Palamores, and of course for armed robbery. So he was tracked somehow fleeing to Nevada. He swapped cars, headed to California, where he stayed with some family for a few days. Not for long, though, he knew the FBI was super hardcore on his tail, and he couldn't stay where he was. They were able to track him getting gas somewhere in San Diego, and they believed that he traveled all the way up to Portland, Oregon. Because Jason Derrick Brown looks so normal and blends in so easily, the FBI has ended up with more tips and leads than anyone else on its 10 most wanted list, which I find pretty fucking crazy. They don't know where he is. Today, Jason Derrick Brown would be 52 years old. He is described as fit, stands at 5 feet 10 inches tall, weighs about 180 pounds, he has sandy blonde hair, blue eyes, and could be going by any of the following alias names. Derek Brown, Greg Johnson, Harleen Johnson, Harlan, Greg Harlan Johnson, John Brown, Jay Brown, or something similar to this. Investigators are under the belief that Brown might be hiding in plain sight among the Mormon community, so possibly here in Salt Lake, Utah. Um, They assume that he is under a false identity potentially living with a partner who is absolutely unaware of who he really is. If that's not the case, they believe it's possible he's fled the country, living in France, maybe Quebec, or possibly Thailand. Now, folks, there is a $200,000 reward for tips that lead to his arrest, so keep your eyes peeled. Now, this next case has a lot of details, and I I won't be doing a deep dive, um, especially here. I just don't have the time, and like I said, it's not really what we do. But I super encourage you to go look up this next case because it is crazy, 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 crazy. So get ready. It's a doozy. Glenn Helzer and the Children of Thunder. If you have heard of the modern day Charles Manson, 
you might be familiar with the Helzer brothers. So the Helzer brothers, Glenn Taylor and Justin. Now, Glenn Taylor, I've seen it Glenn Taylor, just Glenn, or just Taylor. I, I've seen it so many ways for the sake of brevity. I'm just going to call him Taylor. Who the fuck knows what he really went by and who cares? Anyway, Taylor and his brother Justin came from a pretty strict Mormon family. They grew up in Lansing, Michigan. They did have a sister. Her name is Heather. Admittedly, I don't know a whole lot about her. Um, doesn't really matter too much. Anyway, the Helzer family was very devout. On an episode of Aphrodite True Crime about the case, they mentioned that their grandfather claimed to believe that he had gotten a visitation from Jesus Christ in the flesh. So, to no surprise, the family took the Mormon religion pretty fucking seriously. And it was not even a question when Taylor, at the tender age of 14, claimed to have visions and hear voices. The family believed this was some kind of blessing, some sort of miracle. So, suddenly, Taylor, at 14 right over his father became the patriarchal leader of the home. His mother believed that he was so special and so precious, so one of a kind, that all the other siblings needed to follow him. You know, she did the whole, why can't you be more like your brother thing? I wonder how that turned out. Side note, Joseph Smith and his entire story, you know, the first vision, being so young and un unlearned, um, it truly has been the foundation for a lot of crazy Mormon criminals. Like, look at the guy who kidnapped Elizabeth Smart. Look at what happened in that documentary, Abducted in Plain Sight, with Jan Broberg and Robert Birchtold. Like, yikes. Taylor grew up, he went on a mission, and he ended up serving in Brazil, which is also something I find so interesting. He was described as really charismatic and charming. Photos of him show that he wasn't too horribly bad looking so you know like i said i think it's really interesting that he was in brazil because i feel like the church loves the appeal of a smooth talking attractive young white mormon man on a mission naturally all of the clout went to his head and taylor returned home believing he was the true prophet of the mormon church he was convinced that christ was coming and soon so he stayed loyal he said his prayers, read his scriptures, and he began to prepare for Christ's return. He followed your typical Mormon path, got married in 1993 to a woman named Anne, and he got, you know, he had kids, I believe. He, he lived basically just your average Mormon life from an outside perspective. Now, when Taylor began to go apostate, of course, he was doing drugs, drinking, fucking other women. Heather, his sister, the one that I don't know a whole lot about, she tattletailed, she wrote a letter to the First Presidency, and he wound up getting excommunicated. So I guess the Mormons aren't really claiming him after all. He got divorced, surprise, surprise, but of course now he had like this amped up confidence and he wound up grabbing himself a Playboy centerfold woman. Her name is Carrie Furman, super adorable. Also, side note, he cried the first time they had sex. I feel like I just need to throw that out there. Taylor was introduced to to this thing called Harmony Impact Training. I guess his mom found it while he was on his mission. And he got sucked in. Sucked in like a missionary to a fucking doorbell. Anyway, he used Sweet Carrie, that hot little centerfold. He used her for financial gain, and pretty much he used her like a guinea pig. He learned how to manipulate and coerce her, and when she left him for good, that really set his little cult in motion. You know, he knew how to do it by now. 
So he was declaring himself prophet. He had no doubt at this point. He kind of developed this thing that was called the 12 principles of magic. I don't know. It's kind of like the articles of faith or the 10 commandments. Anyway, he expected his cult followers to be exactly obedient. He, according to Wikipedia, tried to get Brazilian orphans to, he was going to like train them, I guess, to assassinate Mormon leaders so he could take over the LDS church. I don't even know. This guy was not so. He was found quoting, he said, create a state of peace and joy. I don't even know. Like, okay, bro. Like, what? He was not so. He he was full on crazy and he was about to set shit ablaze. Now remember Justin, Taylor's younger brother? Well, they were pretty much like best friends, two peas in a pod, you know, kind of like Batman and Robin or Winnie the Pooh and Piglet. Except, you know, kind of like the bad kind. During this time, Taylor started to date a brand new convert by the name of Don Godman. And him and his brother and Don all decided to move in together spring of 2000. And he had kind of convinced the both of them that they were his children of thunder. So, this crazy-ass trio with Taylor at the head set off on a murdering spree a few days after Taylor's 30th birthday... Now, Taylor believed that there was something super big and intense about his 30th birthday. You see, Joseph Smith was around 30 years old when the first temple was dedicated. I guess Christ began his ministry when he was 30. So, you know, being a prophet and all, of course his 30th birthday was like the first day to start all this bullshit. So the first unfortunate victims were Ivan and Annette Steinman an elderly couple whom they forced to write $100,000 worth of checks before they drugged them and began to bang their skulls on the floor. And when they weren't sure if they were dead, they just decided to make sure by stabbing them with knives. After the murder, the trio decided to kneel in prayer, and Taylor and Justin finished the prayer and got up and began to dismember the bodies and put them duffel bags. They then went after a young woman named Selena Bishop. Now, Selena was someone Taylor had met previously. They were kind of dating. He had purposely sought her out. He planned to use her as a scapegoat to cash these fraudulent checks. He had convinced her that his name was Jordan. They fell in love, and he had convinced her to open up this bank account that he would be able to get access to because, you know, she loved him. You know, she loved him. So he got these checks and they were written by the Steinmans and he hoped that Don, you know, one of these little trio crazy asses would be successful in cashing these checks. I guess they tried to tell the bank teller that there was some sort of emergency life-saving surgery that they needed to perform for Selena and so they were trying to get it like on her behalf. Well, the bank isn't stupid. Clearly it was a no-go. So obviously the next plan of action would be to kill Selena to avoid any potential of her becoming a witness and maybe telling people what he had tried to do. So the three of them lured Selena in and attacked her. They began to hit her repeatedly over the head with a hammer. When they noticed that the hammer was too dull to finish the job, they grabbed a knife and they slit her throat. Like the Steinman, Selena was dismembered and placed in another 
duffel bag and allegedly a identifiable tattoo that was on her shoulder was removed like scraped off and then they fed it to a dog so that's that panicked and hoping to cover his tracks taylor went to selena's mother's home he had met her a couple of times and he feared that when she noticed her daughter was missing and shit was going crazy she would be able to identify him so naturally the plan of action at that point was to kill her she was shot to death in bed alongside her boyfriend james gamble who was asleep beside her so investigators at this time wound up finding all three duffel bags with the dismembered remains inside and they were able to identify who they belonged to the body parts were mixed together I guess they thought it would be harder to figure out who's who if they just like tossed random arms and legs and random body bags. But once Selena was identified, it was pretty easy to trace everything back to Taylor Helzer. Basically case freaking closed. Don Goodman was offered a plea deal, which Goodman, Godman, I think it's Godman. Anyway, she was offered a plea deal, which she accepted. And she was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison for the murders. And 12 years and eight months for the charges for other charges related to these these murders um taylor wound up pleading guilty to all five counts and was sentenced to death his brother justin did try to plead insanity um but unfortunately that didn't work he too was sentenced to death when he was in jail he did try to commit suicide once and failed leaving himself with severe brain damage and some pretty gnarly injuries. I guess he did something with his eyes, like gouged his eyes out or something. I don't know. He did later become successful in completing suicide. I don't know how to say that appropriately when it comes to someone so disgusting, but he was successful and he did die by suicide while he was incarcerated. Allegedly, Taylor, his brother, you know, the prophet of it all, he never showed any sort of remorse. He was never upset, and he didn't really have any emotions to show at all. He's still alive, he's still in prison, and today he would be 51 years old. So, that's all I have for you guys today. Make sure you hit the like button if you enjoyed this. I do have a few more episodes and cases up my sleeve. If you have any suggestions on cases you might want me to cover in the month of October, comment below. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Make sure you are subscribed and followed to all of the platforms. Make sure you have marked our live stream in your calendar so you can be ready to hear your name when we call it. Meg and I have not recorded together in so long. I think we're going to play like a what do you mean ex-Mormon edition might pull out some wine. It's going to be full of laughs. It's going to be a shit ton of fun. And Queer Meals really needs our help. So queermeals.org, make a donation, screenshot your receipt, send it to our DMs, and we will see you on Friday. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the More Than Mormon podcast. If you made it this far, then you're definitely worthy to enter the Telushka giveaway. Wait, is that the good one?